Um, hi, folks. As you know, there's a growing number of books um, giving us some information and some analysis on what on earth happened um, with ind- independence um, at, the, at the federal election. And today, it's my pleasure to have a chat to Margot Seville, long-term um, uh, mainstream media journalist, went from law to the Australian, ABC Four Corners, the Sunday program, and the SMH for six years in business before, like so many others, she took redundancy in 2006. Hello, Margot, and what happened when you left the mainstream media game? Um, I got redundancy from the Herald and I thought I'd spend a bit of time at home because my son was only three. Um, That didn't happen. Um, I was a friend of Maxine McHugh's from the ABC and she asked me to work, just help her out on her campaign in Benelong and I agreed to do it. Um, And then I subsequently was talked into doing a book about Benelong, um, a combination of Pam Williams, famous, very famous journalist Pam Williams from the AFR and uh, and the publisher Louise Adler, who was then at um, Melbourne University Publishing. She wanted a book, so they talked me into writing a book instead. Okay. So Benelong um, in 2007, obviously we thought it was a, a brave new world when Maxine beat um, Howard. I just wonder whether that was a two-stepper because Back in 2004, I wrote a book called Not Happy John, Defending Our Democracy. There were stickers all over the place and a former um, Liberal Party president, John Valder, um, sort of became the head of that campaign. And Andrew Wilkie, now the Labor member in, um, uh, in a Labor MP independent in Tasmania, stood for the Greens and got a, a good vote. But more importantly, there was a, a sort of a community coming to, together. And I just wonder... I've seen this in other seats too, that often it's a one-two, that the community sort of awakens and then um, and has a go and then second time, boom. Did, did you what, – what was your feeling being inside that campaign in, in 2007? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's like Wentworth. I mean, Allegra Spender built – uh, you know, stood on the shoulders of Karen Phelps. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, definitely. I mean, Andrew Wilkie did cut down the Liberal Party's margin in Benelong and, you know, Maxine helped to get it over the line. So I guess it's like volleyball. Someone throws the ball up in the air and someone hits it over the net. Mm. So I'd like you to reflect on similarities and differences between um, you know, a Labor candidate obviously having to run a community campaign in, in 2007 and you seem to be very close to the, the Allegra Spender campaign in Wentworth. Did you see any similarities and differences? Um, I heard someone during the campaign say the difference between these community campaigns um, and a, a political party is that, you know, it was more of a dialogue than a monologue. Um and that really <laughs> rang true to me as well. And that, you you know, you literally did have, you know, as you well know, because you've covered this very closely, the voices groups, you know, they're finding out, they're going through Kathy McGowan's processes, her kitchen table conversations, and they're finding out what the community wants. 
Um, so, you know, that was a similarity because Maxine did a lot of that as well. Um, you know, she was sufficiently, she was unaligned. She wasn't in a faction. She was old enough and experienced enough not to be told what to do by, you know, the ALP head office. So she did a lot of that as well. Um, you know, finding out what the community really wanted and, um, and you know, formulating policies about that. But at, at the same time, you know, if you're a member of a political party, you still have to um, toe the party line to a certain extent. Um, was it more? I, I like your thing about dialogue rather than monologue, because the the mainstream media parties, it's very top down. Here's your message: do as you're told. Whereas I sort of felt in, in many of the the independent campaigns, it was more decentralised and and um, more. M- even though there were pros on top, more um, uh, do-your-own-thing, uh, self-organise. Any yeah. th- any sort of thoughts on that? Well, I think that sort of spoke to the quality of the people involved. You know, I mean, like you, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of those volunteers and they seem to be so motivated and smart and um, just very engaged in what they were doing but I mean not necessarily university educated but very knowledgeable about certain issues and uh you know they you know they they were engaged that was the most important thing and they took that engagement and you know turned it into a movement um I was really interested right at the start of your book you said right I came to know that there's are big differences between the Sydney style and the Melbourne style. So you've got two separate chapters on that. Um, what would you describe, think of as the, the main differences in, in approach of, of um, the two cities? Uh, you know, I think the candidates reflected their electorates. And I think, uh, you know, the New South Wales electorates were a little bit more conservative economically. So I think more fiscally conservative, you know, more interested in tax reform, those sorts of things. Um, whereas the Melbourne ones, I think, seem to be a little bit more progressive um, and a, a little bit more, I mean, I've spoke to several polling experts and they teased that out for me as well. The Melbourne ones were just a little bit more progressive generally. Um, I also um, noticed um, a very big difference between how they selected their candidates, that Melbourne seemed to be more the Indi way where you do the big listening tour through voices and then you set up a committee and have a candidate selection process and advertise, etc. whereas Sydney seemed to be, well, yes, you've, you've got your voices for Wentworth, but they're very separate and you have like the one percenters sort of organise the candidate and organise the campaign. Um, did did you do you see did you see that as well? Yes. And if so, why do you think Sydney and Melbourne were so different? Um, I think that you know the campaigns often split into two. You know, you had a voices group, uh, and then you know they reached a real crux time sometime around you know the end of last year, where they had to decide where they're going to go on and become and and be a kind of awareness raising group about these issues and a lobby group, or were they actually going to turn feral and take out the current member, you know, and that that was hard, I think, particularly for a very female dominated group as well. Mm. Women aren't used to kind of stepping up and cutting someone's head off. 
Um, so that often that then required a separate group to do that. Um, and 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 Sydney, yeah, Sydney definitely. You know, you had the Wentworth Independence doing that. Um, you had um, you know Voices for North Sydney not wanting to go ahead and run a separate candidate, so there had to be a separate group there based on the Warringah group. Um, and uh, but up up in the Northern Beaches, you know, as well, they separated out the two. And I think that was a really good idea because you had a very clear delineation between people who were very very focused on the issues and lobbying the government about that, and people who were just really wanted action on getting rid of the candidate or getting rid of the elected member. Um, you say in your book that um, the Wentworth players opened their diaries for you after the election and and to me that was the most fascinating element of the book because you got into such detail about you've got a group of women who set up voices for Wentworth they're completely separate from another group which says let's find a candidate and then a, but there's a there's a second group that wants to find a candidate and you've got this lovely line where back in May um, I think it was Lindell Droger her her group had dinner with Simon to to woo him and convince him that this was the group to, to fund, not the other. Can you get into some detail about how that all came together and, 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 and um, how did it come together? Um, I, I guess, um, I, you know, I've got – I don't live in that electorate. I live um, in the inner west. But I've got lots and lots of friends who do live in that electorate. And so I was starting to hear more and more that – you know, you know, there was a lot of very passionate people there who did want to change things dramatically. They wanted to get rid of Dave Sharma and get someone else in. Um, and like a lot of people with a lot of resources um, and a lot of power, you, you know, they were all kind of racing to be the winners. You know, everyone here wanted to be a winner. No one mm. wants to be a loser. Um, so... You know, various people were getting together and saying, we've got the money, you know, we've got the resources, we've got, you know, we have to find a candidate to get rid of Dave. But as I say in the book, it's very, very hard to find the right candidate. You know, women in in their 30s are starting a family. You know, women in their 40s are consolidating their career. Women in their 50s, you know, as we know, you know, are sick of putting up with crap, not interested in putting up with any more crap, really not that interested in going to Canberra and putting up with all that nonsense. Then women in their 60s, you know, if they'd had a successful corporate career, want to go on boards, that's a really big thing. It's very lucrative. It's very powerful. It's a really great end to your working career. But if they had put their heads up as a candidate and not got in, that would have crueled their chances completely. Um, you know, and so, you know, you think, oh, it's fine. I'm going to go out there and find some fantastically well-qualified woman to do this. But it's actually a really, really hard gig. You know, plus for the money, you know, a backbencher's salary is nothing for women in mm. those electorates. Mm. That's a huge pay cut. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, they were all having problems finding candidates and I kept hearing from people, you know, X has been asked, Y has been asked, you know, they've had a meeting, this person, you know, has been asked and for various reasons, they all knocked it back. I think, you know, for a lot of them, you know, they had, they were obviously looking for a woman, you know, they might've had partners who were working in an area where, um, 
you know, a, a partisan political spouse could have affected their partner's career, that yes. kind of thing. So it was, um, you know, it was a hard job. And, you know, they were all, they were all, these groups were kind of racing to find someone. And it was Lyndall and Maria's Wentworth Independence who, you know, got there and won. Um, another little detail I, I loved is that basically most if not all of the um, independent women had very supportive partners. It's so, <laughs> I mean, you know, what can you do? You've got to jump off a cliff, go be in Canberra all the time, particularly if you're someone like Kate Cheney from Perth. So th- th- there, was, there was a great man behind, behind those great women, weren't there? Look, they were, and, you know, five out of the six are married. Kylie's mm. divorced, but she's got mm. a, a very supportive partner. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so on top of all of those necessary qualifications, you know, they, uh, so many people have said to me, oh, they were just rich white women. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, who else can afford to give up their job? They all had very good careers. You give up your job for six to nine months with no money because, of yep. course, the campaign can't pay you. You've got no guarantee that you're going to win. If you lose, you've got no guarantee that you're going to be able to go back to your job. So you're going to be belted around the you, head. You're, you're going, going to be, be you're going to have your life turned. You're going to have your yeah. life turned inside out by the Murdoch press. You're going to be slammed on social media. Your children will be trolled and followed home from school. Mm. Um, you know, so if you don't have inherited wealth or you don't have a partner who's working to support you while all of this goes on, um, you, ca- you can't stand. Um, you made it clear in the, in the book, uh, and, and this is my experience too, it, it's all about zeitgeist as well, isn't it, that it was actually the bushfires and, and, and Scott Morrison's reaction to the bush, bushfires that got a group of women to start Voices for Wentworth, uh, 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 several groups of women to start to start thinking about let's get into politics for the first time, and also very struck that um, Allegra, who kept saying no, 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 when when Scott Morrison went to, to Glasgow, refusing to increase Abbott's target by twenty thirty, she just went, oh, I've sort of I've sort of got a duty. Um, that, that that whole thing. How would you summarise? The, the zeitgeist's contribution to this uh, miracle in, in 2022? Um, well, I think one of the alternative, ty- one of the 30 alternative um, uh, illustrations for the cover of my book was a wave, a, a giant wave. And, you know, I, I sort of, I always, I kept thinking about that when I was writing it and that the bushfires, you know, the wavelet comes up for the bushfires. ScoMo says, I don't hold a hose. You know, yeah. I don't hold a hose. I, that's not my job. You know, the waves just come up higher and higher. Then COVID starts. Then everybody's at home, you know, with a little bit more time on their hands, a bit more used to Zoom meetings, more worried about climate change, you know, more more active. And the wave just builds and builds and builds and sort of crashes down on the 21st of May. That's how I think of it. So you, um, a line of the books I've read so far, um, have completely focused on what has come to be called the teals. You, you don't mention the, the regions and the country. And you've defined the teals as middle-class white women who live um, uh, live in and now represent very affluent communities. So I'd like to ask you what, what you think about the mainstream media and Climate 200's acceptance and the, and the, the MPs' acceptance of this teal branding 
and whether you think it's got downsides. I think it's got huge downsides. Um, I think that they don't want to be known as a party for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, you know, they don't they don't want to be known as a group. They're individuals. And, you know, come re-election in three years' time, you know, Wentworth is not going to be re-electing a Teal member. They're going to be re-electing Allegra Spender. And I th- I think they have to differentiate themselves as individuals. And, you know, Monique Ryan said on Four Corners, we're all alpha females, you know, mm. we're, you know, there's going to be conflict. But I think, you know, for the sake of their re-election chances, they have to be seen to be representing their electorate, not a Teal party, which doesn't exist anyway. I guess my problem with it all is that once something is is branded and, you know, we, we know who the six are, you say the six are the teals, um, then I know Simon's argument is, oh, I accept it will go with teals because it, it, will, um, it, it will resonate with low-information low voters. But for me, low-information voters in... in outer suburbs in the regions and the bush might go, oh, God, that's not us. So that yeah. the whole that whole Climate 200 funding model sort of c- collapses for the regions and the, the outer suburbs. Have you given any thought to that or is that just me carrying on? No, no. I mean, I thought about that a lot because I was reading your blog during the election and you obviously covered the regional areas. And, you know, I think Simon's involvement was obviously a two-edged sword there. I mean, you talked about, was it um, Cowper? Cowper, he refused Simon's money, that kind of thing. No, it was, you know, it I was think... Hume. Hume and, Hume, Hume and Hume, Groom. That's right. And Nichols, yep. yeah. That's right, that's right. And I think, you know, obviously they would have liked to have had hundreds of thousands of dollars from yep. Simon. Everybody would like more money. But as you say, there was a kind of a reputational issue there and perhaps... Um, you know, they, they fall over it. That. They fall over at the starting line. Like, you know, yes. especially if you're in a Queensland conservative regional seat like Groom, if you know southern yes. activists led by a billionaire's son, they'll just go elite, elite. Which is another thing that I was really interested in. That you talked to, was it you that or Tim Dunlop that talked about that whole thing that won it for for Howard and Co. of oh, they're the elites, we're the normals, we're the battlers turned around because Morrison started insulting the elites yes. <laughs> and saying you're just yes. cafe latte. And so the, 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 the elites went, well, you don't represent us anymore. Was, I found, was that you? That was Tim. That's Tim, definitely Tim's. But, I, you know, like when he came out, Morrison came out before the election saying, oh, well, you know, climate change is not going to be solved in the, the, the cafes and inner city wine yes. bars of the capital cities. And they went, well, it is actually you, dickhead, because you're not doing anything, you know. So I don't think that worked. Yeah. All right. Now, you gave some uh, – I'll just tell people that the book is really worth, worth reading, particularly for the insider stuff um, on Wentworth. Um, and on the, I loved your sort of your campaign summary. Your your style seems to be you don't tell anyone what to think, you don't analyse, you just you just put the facts down, and it's it's very journalistic, which I really liked. But at the end, you went through this 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 what next, and, and the, you're showing to me anyway that the, that the entire um, 
uh, representation of the Liberal Party in the co- uh, has completely changed. I'll read this to you. Before, because, because the National Party and the Queensland LNP now hold 31 of the 58 seats, Queensland is the new centre of power. They basically don't own any rich seats except one or two, and they own all the poor seats, and the nine safest seats for the coalition are held by the Nats and Rural Libs. Now, where do we go from that? What, 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 what next do you think um, in response to both the, 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 the Teal's victories and the, the extraordinary change in the composition of the uh, Lib, Lib Nats? Well, um, I interviewed quite a few politicians about that. And, mm. you know, the, I think the most interesting was Senator An- Andrew Bragg, uh, who's a Liberal and who, you know, is widely seen as one of the leaders of the moderate faction. And, you know, he said, you know, they have to be a broad church. They can't, you know, right, what are they going to do? Rebrand as a conservative party and then they're going to get all the people in the inner city electorates, try and get them back in and call them the modern liberals and then form a different <laughs> coalition, you know, a different coalition between, I don't know, you know, the, the wealthier inner city people and the outers. You know, what are they going to do? They're having an existential crisis. As you say, mm-hmm. that huge turnaround from representing the richest people in the country to now the 10 poorest seats Mm. are held by, you know, the Liberal Conservative Coalition. So, you know, it's an absolute existential crisis. And, you know, a lot of the political scientists said to me, you know, we we don't see a way out of this. You know, how they, you know, Andrew Bragg said to me, well, what are we going to do? We can formulate a whole series of policies Um, socially progressive policies um, that will appeal to regional Australia because regional Australia voted yes in same-sex marriage. Mm. But he said the outer western suburb seats with the um, religious, you know, the religious communities from overseas basically, they voted no in the same-sex marriage survey. So he said our socially progressive policies are not going to win back the outer western suburb seats in Sydney um so you know what do we do how do we formulate that so he he came back he's a politician and said it's a broad church we have to have policies that encompass all of that but you know I don't understand how well Margot you and I are both from Queensland originally we are we are (laughs) we've both been to Peter Dutton's seat we've both been to David Littleproud's seat you know I grew up in Toowoomba and you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you reconcile the voters of Wentworth with the voters of mm. Outer Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The other, another thing I really liked about the book is, uh, oh look, to me the big scoop was, um, I think it was Lindell Droger and someone else was sitting around in Lucy Turnbull's kitchen, and Malcolm's hovering. Um, Malcolm's always tried to separate himself, but it's very clear that Lucy played a significant role in this. And also that John Hewson was right there in all in in Melbourne and other places, you know, arguing the case for independence. We know Ian McPhee, the former um, Liberal MP for Goldstein, endorsed Zoe. We know Fred Cheney did a number of enormous pieces about how the Liberal Party needed a shake-up. And Malcolm said to me, I did an interview with him, I think August, August last year before Simon came out, 
And he said that there was a lot of talk about maybe forming a new party. That, um, and I just wonder what, what your feeling is about that, that clash between, okay, independence, representation, blah, 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 and do we really need to formalise this in some way? Um, yeah, I mean, I did speak to Malcolm, obviously, um, and he said, you know, he doesn't believe that this is the end of the Liberal Party for obvious reasons. Um, but then, you know, so many Liberal supporters and politicians said to me, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, and, you know, even Allegra's father, who has mm. now sadly died, you know, mm. he said that too, the Liberal Party had left him. So, mm. uh, you know, yeah, it's a crisis. What's their future? I don't know. That's not my job, luckily. But, you know, I mean, we've seen the review of the election come down as saying, um, you know, not enough people voted for us. Well, it's brutal <laughs> mathematics in the end, isn't it? And a lot you know. of people saying, which your book and all the books I've read said, the key was a, a, a visceral hatred for, for, for Scott Morrison. Morrison. Yeah. Um, you think, yeah. well, maybe a different leader, but it's not Dutton. But no. Dutton has to be the leader because he actually represents what the party has has become. So I don't know if you've had much thought about that. How do you think this Independence Day movement, however you, you look at it, what risks does it face? And Because and, I'm thinking, well, obviously the parties are going to respond. People are going to copy the Climate 200 model, which is really the introduction of PACs, US-style PACs into the, into the system. Is it is it, it just seems to me that everything is so fluid and there's a lot of egos trying to take control and, and, and in a way the Independence Day movement is fracturing into state-based power centres and really I think um, city versus country, just like the old style. Is there any way that mm. that can be broken or is that just the way it is? I, th I think, you know, for them to succeed long term, they're just going to have to copy Kathy McGowan, you know, and put their heads down and, you know, stick to their knitting. Don't like mm. just don't let all the nonsense, the media coverage and about Climate 200 or whatever, just, you know, stick within your electorate and listen to them and they'll succeed. But, yeah, you know, who who, who knows what will happen? I mean, I, I thought Karen, I thought Karen was there for the long haul as well. And I was wrong about that. Didn't quite have really enough time. Good. Didn't quite yes. have enough time. Yes. You know. Yep. Yeah. She only had about six months. Yes. And also, but yes. also at that stage, everyone thought Labor would win. Remember? And I think yes. enough. Like she kept sixteen percent. Like she had a yes. beautiful. I mean, Legra only had to win three or four percent. Yes. So she lost that that two that was obviously very very hard for Allegra to get. You know, she yep. spent a lot of money, two million but only Allegra could have got them. Do you agree? hundred percent. You know, she, I mean, Lyndall said to me, you know, she was the candidate from Central Casting. We always, you know, we always wanted her and she, ne she never said no. She would only just say not yet. And, you know, the main issue was having a young family, which isn't always an issue for a female politician. And I do say in the book, you know, this breed of, poli you know, most of them have got three kids. I think Zoe's got two, but the rest of them have got three kids. That's unprecedented for female politicians. Yeah. yeah. And also I feel what was helpful to Legra was that she was so introverted 
and that so it was it was clearly an effort for her to to be natural in public etc and that was incredibly attractive because I don't know about you but I went come on you you get your comfort and she just did she just flowered and it was so it was a story that I would have thought that a lot of voters could relate to do you think there's anything in that oh yeah definitely definitely I think you know people see she was like the accidental politician in a way um you know and it was her sister and brother who had and her mother who had the public profile by mm. the fashion businesses um and you know sisters used to getting out and speaking in public um so yeah she you know i i went to the launch in november and sort of thought you know she does seem very shy you know that's you know she's going to have to work really hard to overcome that and then sort of bingo it just you know went off another sort of worry I have about the future is that there'll be as distinct from the reluctant candidates which is the archetype here that yeah. you do your duty yeah. and you're in a position to do your duty it's 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 making duty fashionable again and by the yeah. way we get an exceptional group of um talented people who know what they're doing um but that you'll get ambitious now that it's fashionable you get ambitious people that you'll get. I know Simon's going to seed fund small groups yeah. and, and give ex- expertise to, to, to small groups, which I think could create enormous trouble if you haven't got your community with you first. Do you? Sure. I, I mean, I, I think there'll be fake independence. I think there'll be there'll be all sure. sorts of. Everyone will want to jump on. What do you yeah. see structurally as as the protection there in, in the movement, or, or is it still oh. just so fluid and no one knows? I think you know no one knows but I did I did um you know one of the consultants who worked on four of the campaigns was Ed Coper from Popularis and mm. uh, they're sort of social change consultants and he has written a really good book about information and misinformation and his final chapter of the book is you know he says he's quite concerned about the fact that you know uh groups on the right hand side of politics maybe even the hard right look at this as a template and think mm. you know uh, you, you know, we could do this. We could do this, and you know, you'd you'd get you know Clive Palmer, who wasted a lot of money, but obviously has more to spare. Gina Reinhart, I, I don't know, someone you know, another billionaire on that side of politics, saying, "Okay, great, this is a way for me to influence politics properly," and and coming out with a party that instead of says climate change and gender equity, you know, comes out and says smaller government, you know, smaller government, harder borders, you know, stronger borders, lower taxes, you know, that sort of thing and just reproduces those campaigns but on the other side you know how how effective I mean Margaret you know much more about you know the one nation vote than I do and um you know all those Australia first parties and things like that you know like traditionally they haven't done that well but turbocharged by a Simon Holmes accord of the right you know how would they do it it's very concerning um, Margot, what are you going to do next? Oh, have a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, have a break. I'm uh, I'm I'm back to writing um, op eds for the Herald, and I write. I'm a columnist for Crikey as well. So um, pre Christmas, we're waiting for the Ben Robert Smith decision to come down. So I'll be uh, helping with the coverage of yeah. that. That'll be uh, super interesting. More money for lawyers. Um, and uh, Gladys Berejiklian's The Decision of ICAC. 
for Gladys yeah. is coming down before Christmas. Yeah. So I'm at the moment I'm just, you know, kind of eating and drinking and zoning out. Um, but um, as from next week, I'll be just boning up on those and getting ready to cover those. So one last question. Um, a lot of people, including, um, you know, the Labor, the Labor guy at the press club said, this is an aberration. It will all get back to normal. Other people, for example, you say it's a revolution. Where, what do you, you know, it's just who knows what's going to happen next. We thought the world would change when John Howard lost in two, lost his own seat in 2007 and then Labor buggered it up. I mean, you just, you just yeah, never yeah. know. What, what's, yes. what's your feeling at the moment? And secondly, are you going to continue to take an interest in what next as for, for, for the movement? Oh, look, I think I can't not really. Having immersed myself in it so strongly, I can't really look away now. Um, I, look, I think that, I mean, you look back, Tony Windsor was in for a very long time. Rob Oakeshott was in for a long time. Kathy McGowan, of course, and now Helen mm. Haynes. You know, I, th- I think the independents tend to stick in and do really well. Um, and I hope they do. You know, I think they're a fantastic, positive addition to the Australian mm. political scene. Mm. Yeah. I've noticed that um, since the election that the, the opposition's just carrying on with old lines, whereas the, <laughs> yeah. the – and I thought this might happen, that the, the, the crossbench has turned into really the opposition, but it's a constructive opposition and they're, they're making all sorts of amendments that are being accepted or not and it, it, that that's really where the action is and because Labor's got so much, so much legislation, I, I've just got to – feeling that if, if all goes well, other seats might say, gee, we wouldn't mind having our voice at the table. That That's the hope. Um, yes. But, yes. Uh, you know, whatever, we, we shall see. Well, it's a, it's a difficult dance for Labor, isn't it? They have to be seen to be giving them enough power to stop those electorates voting a Liberal again next time, but not so much power that people think that, well, what's the point in having an independent? They're just voting for Labor. So I would imagine that's a very delicate balance for them. Yeah, well, I noticed that uh, Kylie Tinks put up some legislation seconded by Kate Cheney to finally deal with um, fuel emission standards in, in yeah. cars after way too long and that they seem to be trying to, to find an issue where they can set an agenda. Like, you know, Helen Haynes yes. set an yes. agenda on, on, on a federal oh, ICAC. the Integrity and, Commission, and, yes. And Zali has, has done marvellous stuff on, on climate change and yeah. truth in advertising. If they can each find a... You know, yes. and and Karen did medivac, um, yes. so y- you can sort yes. of y- you can see where they they might be might be going. Have you spoken to any of them about where they where how they might sort of play? Uh, not really. I guess I've been so busy finishing the book since the election. So um, no, I haven't really. I thought I'd leave them alone. <laughs> I think they're a bit sick of journalists. <laughs> well. Both your book and Brooke's book, it's as though the, the key rich one percenters decided to use both of your books to sort of say, hey, I played a role after being quite wisely um, undercover. So congratulations. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's so good to get, you know, two journalists to actually give us some facts, you know, to, to get inside and, 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 and have a look under the bonnet. So um, thank you very much for joining us, um, Margot. 
All right. Well, thank you, Margot. And look, I had to say I read uh, your blog religiously during the campaign and it was a huge help for me. One, in giving me sort of facts about campaigns that I hadn't actually been on the ground for, like Curtin. That was a huge help for me. Um, and also just to get a bit more of the flavour of what was going on. So, yeah, thanks to you. Oh, well, I'm still useful in my old age. <laughs> That's nice to know. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this No Tips podcast. Until next time, goodbye.